Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on May the 9th, 2013. For newcomers, as always, I suggest you make good use of CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. On the website there, you'll see other sites listed that I have. The Alcari audio is for download. If, I, if you find sticking on the com site, it's because so many folk go into at the same time, so try another site listed there. And the Alcari transcripts as well for prints up of lots of the talks I've given over the years. So help yourself to them too. Remember too, you're the audience that bring me to you. If you, uh, if you want to keep me going, you can help me take along by getting the books and discs at cuttingthroughthemedics.com. And through the books, of course, I go through the art of chronology. Chronology is always with us. It's a, it's a very old art, in fact. And it's how the first elite ever started off on the planet. How to con other people into being worshipped, really. And then how to uh, extract uh, various kinds of gifts and tolls and so on from, uh, from them, basically. Levies and taxes. And how they're, they're elevated. And then their, their children take over in the same positions. And you have this uh, ultra-royal deity, basically. Ancient techniques. All countries used them, especially around the Middle Eastern areas where, where there are different peoples. They all use the same techniques. Uh, so, as I say, I go through the history of it and how uh, knowledge is never lost, especially that kind of knowledge to do with, with, with manipulation of people's minds on vast scales. Never, ever lost. It's always kept by empires. And as an empire falls, the next empire takes over. They carry that knowledge with them. And all the advisories to kings and queens simply move into the new empire and sell their talents to the new kings and queens. Uh, right down to today. And, of course, presidents and prime ministers today are all surrounded by advisors and script writers to do all for them. So we, we, we get fictions for whoever uh, is running our country or, we, or you think is running your country. It's all made up by people behind the scenes. And it's all publicity and PR management. So anyway, the books, as I say, go through the, the history of this from ancient times to the present and the different codes they've used down through time too. Uh, easy to do with illiterate populations, which was very, very common up until really fairly recently. And, uh, and how it's going into higher types of coding today through computers and all the rest of it. And remember too, you can, from the US to Canada, you can still use personal checks to buy the books or the discs. And you can use PayPal, you can use, um, send cash, or you can also, um, use postal money orders from the post office to Canada. It's still good. And remember, too, across the world, you got Western Union MoneyGram and PayPal once again. And straight donations are seriously welcome as we go through inflation, the, the planned inflation to bring us into austerity. And austerity really means that all the extra money you had at one time will simply go to the bare essentials in the future. That's the world they want to bring in under the Millennium Project, Sustainable Development, Agenda 21. It's all the same thing. And they really mean it. The big boys, the elites who run the world, really do mean this. And they're going to make it happen by one crisis after another. That's why they create the crisis and come forward with the pre-drawn up plans to get over the crisis. 
So crises are awfully good. You need them to keep keep the world changing along the agenda, you see. Most folk think we're, we're going through uh, this sort of accidental view of history. That's what they think it is. And uh, not the planned uh, view of history. Uh, and accidental means you just stumble down through time, uh, falling over things, and politicians just find ways around them or how to get over things. And, um, and that's nonsense. Uh, those in power all down through the ages always plan the future to ensure that their own offspring take over in the same positions with even more wealth and power than before. Standard stuff. They live through their children. Now the music's coming in, so we'll be back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix, and we live by uh, deception, really. Deception's really what news is all about. News is there to keep you kind of uh, swinging in a, in a swing, just like a swing with your feet trailing along the ground and humming to yourself, and it teaches you too that something, everything really on a major scale is outside of your own control. Leave it to your betters, your better people, the special folk up there who come up with special wounds and just know how to take care of things. Just leave it to them. And of course, that was the initial way of bypassing democracy and involvement, because in true democracy, everyone would be involved, you see. In fact, you'd be asked, everyone would get a vote on major things that affected your lives. And that's never happened, you see. The plebeian vote, as they called it in ancient Greece. And it never will happen either. Because the state power never gives itself up voluntarily. And um, you find that big, big institutions, again, I've mentioned the Royal Institute of International Affairs, awfully, awfully important to understand. They were the, the boys formed by Lord Rothschild, Cecil Rhodes, Lord Milner, that became the Royal Institute of International Affairs eventually. Uh, the guys who drew up this world map of unification of uh, countries into whole blocks, trading blocks with free trade. They'd also bypass any country with free. They wouldn't give any trade at all to countries that wouldn't join it. So it's a form of blackmail as well, you see. And, and of course, this organization too, if you read the Milner books, for instance, they set war, but they, they, they talked about getting world wars going in order to get countries to give up their sovereignty, get them to their knees, get them bankrupt, and they'd be begging for, for amalgamation. And they had World War One and World War Two. Now their own historian wrote about it because they had their own version of history. And Professor Carl Quigley said it was so important that, that they'd altered so much of history. They'd been behind all the wars in a hundred years. He said, he says it was important that uh, the public should know about this now. He thought it was a great idea taking over the world this way. But what's really instant, coincidental too is that Karl Marx before that had come out with the same agenda. First amalgamate Europe then the Americas, and then a Pacific Rim region as well. And they'd all have a form of government, a sort of inferior government for each region, and, and these governments would be under the, under the supervision of a world government. So, uh, again, the Royal Institute for International Affairs, also called the Council on Foreign Relations, uh, works hard to, to make this, all of this come to pass. They drafted up the, th- the whole idea for the NAFTA treaties. They actually drafted it up. This private club drafted it up and got the politicians to sign it into law. And we're still going through it in the Americas. And they were the ones who drafted it up too for, for the EU amalgamation. 
Uh, these, these guys too, the Royal Institute for International Affairs, they were set out, they set their emissaries right across the planet to also take over all the big mineral rights and eventually water rights and right down to the food rights today of the world. Because you see, only the superior intellect, which of course is themselves, the ones who pretty well owns most of the world's wealth by this time, who formed their own international affairs, uh, had the, the right to decide what happens and what direction the world goes into. Ordinary folk were just too dumb and stupid, you see, to make their own decisions, and therefore the big boys would use scientific techniques to train us all to do things properly. And I'll tell you one thing, too, the computer has a big part to do with this, training you and nudging you, giving you standardized opinions, as TV did before, and still does, actually. So it all works together. And uh, you find, for, for instance, that the Queen of England, uh, you would think she might be neutral in a stance to do with the total amalgamation or subjugation of Britain under Europe, this foreign uh, across-the-sea uh, entity called Brussels, where the parliament is, that's, that's running the whole of Europe of unelected bureaucrats. But no, she's all for this, you see. Now, remember, I've said so many times before, kings and queens were often foreign people, even from different races, uh, that uh, ruled over people of another race that conquered, see? And even hired other people to come in and do tax farming that also were from a different, a different race. And uh, this went on for centuries and centuries up to, to not too long ago, actually. So that contempt for the ordinary people still do. Anyway, this article here sort of sums it up. It says, no referendum pledge, but the Queen's speech does contain backing for the EU propaganda, promoting the virtues of Brussels. So she's all for it, you see. And it says, Britain says, sign off a taxpayer-funded propaganda to promote the virtues of the European Union, despite growing calls to quit Brussels altogether. Conservative MPs had called on David Cameron to bring forward legislation in today's Queen's speech for his promise in an out referendum. But instead, buried in the small print was a plan for the UK to authorise the Europe for Citizens scheme, which aims to develop understanding of the EU. They want a European citizen. He says there was no mention of of, uh, Europe in the speech delivered by the Queen to MPs and peers. The Conservatives are under pressure after the recent rise of the UK Independence Party, culminating in them taking almost one in four votes in last week's local elections. Mr Cameron has promised to renegotiate Britain's relationship with the EU before staging an in-out referendum by 2017, if he is Prime Minister after the next election. And it says, but the strategy was blown apart yesterday when former Chancellor Lord Lawson said he would vote to leave the EU slipped into the deal of the government's legislation plans for the next year was the European Union's approvals bill. Uh, among three programs listed, it included Europe for Citizens, which according to government briefing notes, aims to develop understanding of the EU, its history and policy-making processes, and encourage civic participation in the EU. Now, the EU was to be set up in secret and part of the Lend-Lease program at the end of World War II, where the U.S. banks would finance uh, the devastated countries like Britain, part of the deal was they would form and push for a united Europe. Eisenhower was all for it too. And uh, they didn't tell the British public this at the time, or any of the countries in Europe for that matter. And, uh, and so they set up their branches in secrecy 
And in about 1948, they set up the first branches, uh, parts of governments in Britain and other countries that worked all the way up until the late 90s before they admitted it had been all done by stealth and secrecy and, and lies. They lied to the public over and over again. To, when they, they were reading about prime ministers signing accords and deeper deeper ties and closer ties with their partners, when they, so they kept lying and saying it was just a, 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 to do with the, the economy, economic partnership. It was for total integration, all deception. Anyway, it says uh, so. They want, do, what, do they want to teach this history to the public? I don't think so. It also aims to promote remembrance of Europe's history, particularly the wars and totalitarian regimes of the 20th century. What the totalitarian regimes of the, this century. The scheme, which has a 229 million euro budget for 2014-20, claims that most Europeans generally recognize the benefits of the EU and want to see the Union becoming a more integral part of their national political landscapes. Well, of course, I've never done any, any surveys to find out what the folk actually think. Uh, the revelation is likely to infuriate the Conservative MPs demanding Mr. Cameron uh, take a tougher line with Brussels instead of backing a scheme which promotes it. Now, let's be honest too, this whole idea of unification has bankrupted every country in it. The bankers are just laughing up their sleeves. The international bankers and the Bank for International Settlements also set up their own Institute of International Affairs and all the private central banks as they keep borrowing money from each other now to, to plug holes in each country that fails. It's a complete racket, folks, to bring in austerity. Anyway, I'll put this link up tonight for those who want to read the rest of it, and good luck to you, because uh, everything is chronology, as I say, and you never get told the truth. You never, ever get told the truth from the mainstream news. They're so happy to work with government. Understand that all these uh, particular journalists, uh, they get into the members' houses of parliament and stuff like that, and they don't get invites. They're left out in the cold if they are critical of them. It was the same thing with embedded journalists that went off to America with the Gulf Wars and so on, and the Iraq Wars. Uh, they, they, they went along with it, and they couldn't say anything at all. That was part of the condition, anything negative about what the U.S. military was doing. It's the same thing as I say with with this other thing, exact same thing. Uh, journalists depend on having contacts in government and being kind to government to get to any news from them at all. I mean, it's really that secretive. The, the real truth is that secretive. So it gets spun stories uh, through marketing uh, professionals. We also live in, a, in a, an age now where, uh, I've always I've said this for years, if you want to, to at one time you used to get go through school and you say, I, I want to do this and I want to do that when I leave school. And you either go as an employee for somewhere or you start your own business. And today, of course, big corporations don't spend money out there to start another big business. What they do is they they get grants from governments, gifts, gifts from governments. The the true sense of, well, it's even beyond fascism, it's beyond that. And if they want to build build big projects, uh, they don't have to go go to their, their, um, their, their shareholders and say, we need more cash for this project. They go to governments. And there's a lot of corruption involved because there's a lot of kickbacks. The government gives them a contract for something. Uh, guaranteed payment, by the way, when government gives them contracts because of all the taxpayers' money to, 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 to steal from. Then there's often a kickback given to the top guys that awarded them from the government, the contracts. That's, that's standard procedure. But anyway, um, the companies now are so greedy and so spoiled with these kind of deals. 
Here's an, here's an article here that explains this. Elon Musk's Solar City, this is a company, sues the government for more subsidies. It says, when you donate hundreds of thousands of dollars to re-election campaigns and push more hundreds of thousands of dollars through lobbying, you expect a little more back than the measly $95.6 million that Solar City received in stimulus grants. The company, chaired by none other than Elon Musk, had applied for a $325 million in, in, in federal aid in the same program that helped Solyndra and Tesla, and is now, according to the Wall Street Journal, suing the government for underpayment of green energy subsidies. That was spoiled. And Hissy Foots, back with more after this break. Hi, folks. We're back, cutting through the matrix, talking about how spoiled big corporations are now, as expect bailouts and handouts and startup money even, too. Uh, they come to expect it. They're spoiled rotten, you see. That's all your tax money, of course, that they're given as gifts. And when they don't get the gifts, now they're through government. And as this article says here, that uh, they expect, look, this one here, Elon Musk for uh, Solar City Company, applied for $325 million in federal aid. And uh, after given a, a, a few thousand in election campaigns. So they spent $325 millions back. That's not a bad little gift to give, that they give to the politicians to get $325 million. Eh? No one gives, by the way, there's no corporation or, or, or single individual in the world gives that kind of cash, big cash to government without payback. I mean, they expect it. They're bought and paid for obviously, the politicians. Anyway, it says here, they applied for $25 million in federal aid in the same program that helped Solyndra and Tesla that once went defunct and is now, according to the Wall Street Journal, suing the government for underpayment of green energy subsidies. Oh, oh underpayment. Let's sue them for more tax money. It seems Soros City are using the mad defense, claiming that they could lose millions more if the government fails to provide the subsidies they asked for, the gifts, you know. As National Review details, Solar City is one of the solar companies that's being investigated by the IRS after the Treasury found out it repeatedly overstated the value of its investments, so it's corrupt as well. So far, the Treasury has paid out over $17 billion in green energy stimulus grants. I mean, it attracts all the crooks. I mean, instant cash, you don't have to actually come up with anything, just go bankrupt. You know, but the money all disappears before you go bankrupt. And it says, um, in this case, it's, it's not without precedent, as a number of other renewable energy firms are set to file suit. So if this gets away with it, they'll all be suing for more and more dough. And, and you're paying for their private businesses. You, the taxpayer's paying for all their private businesses. Big bucks. This is a look at the Department of Treasury section 1603 data shows that Solar City received 27 awards across 15 states amounting to $95.6 million in cash from a long-standing tax credit for renewable energy investment turned into a direct grant in the stimulus bill. Solar City has applied for approximately $325 million in the stimulus grants according to the SEC filing. And it gives you a few other things to notice. Is first, Solar City is being investigated by the IRS and so on, as I've mentioned before. And then secondly, the chairman of Solar City is Elon Musk, who is also a large owner in the company. 
In addition to being the chairman of Solar City, he's also the CEO of the automobile company Tesla. Tesla received $465 million from the ATVM Loan Guarantee Program, the DOE program that gave us the Fisker scandal. Third, it's worth noting that Elon Musk is a generous political donor. Why does this matter? Because it's one thing for the government to mismanage taxpayers' money, as it may have, have with 1,603 payments to Solar City, or 1,603 payments. It's another when the mismanagement happens to heavily benefit some of the administration's large donors. Doesn't it ever, eh? And then, according to the Center for Respo- uh, Responsive Politics, Solar City spent $535,000 in 2009 and 2010 to lobby Congress and the Department of Energy on Climate Legislation, the Recovery Act, Green Workforce Training and Development, and provisions in various legislation relevant to solar development. Not bad, eh? Not bad. See, it's, it, when everything's getting handed out by government, the sharks just get oh, they're right in there. No problem. <laughs> no hesitation. And that's why lobbyists, too, get instant access to, to government. You can't as a citizen. Because they don't care about you. But the lobbyists get instant. Oh, yeah, they donated so much to our call. Yeah. And, of course, it's kickback time and, and reward time, you know. Now, another article, too, says Britain faces energy crisis unless ministers abandon green policies. Britain must abandon its bias towards green policies or face an energy crisis, a key parliamentary advisor has warned. It says um, fracking of one kind or another has been used in Britain for decades, and the UK is potentially sitting on enough shale gas reserves to heat all homes for at least 100 years, but that's not going to happen because they sell it. It's international corporations that own these, these fracking the deals and they sell the stuff abroad they don't care about what happens to Britain a hundred years down the road anyway says Peter Lilly a member of Prime Minister's Parliamentary Advisory Board has warned that the UK's hesitance to embrace shale gas comes at great expense to the country he cites decreasing gas prices in American uh, as an example where gas is a third of the price of what it is in Europe and questions why Britain is dragging its feet UK is potentially sitting on enough shale gas reserves to heat all the homes, etc., etc. However, there's been resistance to excavate the fossil fuel amid concerns about the possibility of earthquakes and water contamination if gases are leaked into the water table while the fracking process is carried out. And it says, uh, in the article for the Spectator, Conservative MP accuses the Department of Energy and Climate Change. Uh, can you believe you get the Department of Energy and Climate Change? Yeah, as being in disarray over the issue, with some ministers now beginning to question the direction green policies have been heading. They're a bit slow, they're a bit slow. They're beginning to question the direction green policies have been going. (laughs) This is the best they can give you, folks, isn't it? And... Another article came out too by Harrison H. Smith and uh, William Happer. It says, in defense of carbon dioxide, the demonized chemical compound is a boon to plant life and has little correlation with global temperature. Well, we all know that. But you see, they've made these holy things, holy topics, you see. See, holy topics are the best kind of lies you can get. Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth.
Hi folks, we're back cutting for the Matrix Talking about the nonsense that the, the, the far, far left It's all funded, by the way, by the richest folk on the planet Who own the foundations, they've got a lot to Remember that this whole agenda of controlling the world Controlling all of us and altering the way we live Is the big boy's idea Long before they came, they hit on the idea of using the weather And, and so on, carbon and so on But they fund all these far, far left groups and, uh, and pay them awfully well, by the way. I mean, full-time salaries and all the rest of these NGOs, little charitable organizations. Great salaries in them. Anyway, they want to say here that of all the world's chemical compounds, none has the worst reputation in carbon dioxide, thanks to the single-minded demonization of this natural and essential atmospheric gas by advocates of government control of energy production. And it's also control of all over the way we live, by the way. The conventional wisdom about carbon dioxide is that it's a dangerous pollutant. That's simply not the case. Contrary to what some would have us believe, increased carbon dioxide in the atmosphere will benefit the increasing population of the planet by increasing agricultural productivity. And it's true the planets take it in, they give out oxygen. The cessation of observed global warming for the past decade, now they're actually saying it's 17 years or so, has shown how exaggerated NASA's and other most uh, computer predictions of human-caused warming have been and how little correlation warming has with concentrations of atmospheric carbon dioxide. As many scientists have pointed out, variations in global temperature correlate much better with solar activity. You know, the sun, that, that thing that the heat comes from, you know. And with complicated cycles of the oceans and atmosphere, there isn't the slightest evidence that more carbon dioxide has caused more extreme weather. This is the current level of carbon dioxide net in the Earth's atmosphere approaching 400 parts per million are low by the standards of geological and plant evolutionary history. Levels were 3,000 parts per million million or more until the the, the Paleogene period, beginning around 65 million years ago. For most plants and for the animals and humans that use them, more carbon dioxide, far from being a pollutant in need of reduction, would be a benefit. This is already widely recognized by operators of commercial greenhouses who artificially increase the carbon dioxide levels to 1,000 parts per million or more to improve the growth and quality of their plants. This is using energy from sunlight together with the catalytic action of the ancient enzyme called Rubisco, the most abundant protein on earth. Plants convert carbon dioxide from the air into carbohydrates and other useful molecules. Rubisco catalyzes the attachment of carbon dioxide molecules to another five carbon molecule to make two three carbon molecules which are subsequently converted into carbohydrates. Since a useful product from the carbon dioxide capture consists of three carbon molecules, plants that use this simple process are called C3 plants. C3 plants, such as wheat, rice, soybean, cotton, and many forage crops evolved when there was much more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere than today. So these agricultural staples are actually undernourished in carbon dioxide relative to their original design. And it goes on and on and on and talks about other things to do with the same, the same topic. It's quite good actually. And, um, uh, and it's well worth reading. I'll put that up tonight. I'll put all these links up, by the way, at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. You see, facts don't matter when you have these big agendas from the top. And they do really have these agendas from the top. Controlling the uh, population of the planet is a big part of the far left who are paid by the far right and funded by the far right. And um, and also they want to bring us into austerity, as I say, too. 
uh, we'll, because all, they, they own all the big corporations at the top. And they, they believe that, uh, that they want to change the way that you live, post-consumerist society, they say, into really a, 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 a maintenance society. You'll maintain yourself just about, if you're lucky, and no more. They don't like us very much, you know. And also this article, it's very good. It says, BBC breach of charter invalidates the license fee. It says, uh, your charter states, inter alia, the BBC is to be independent, fair, impartial, and report the news. Well, that will be the day. It says, uh, it says, you concealed from the public the most major news events in the 3,500 year history of Britain. The legal abortion, uh, abolition of Britain by the Lisbon Treaty on the 1st of January 2009 and its replacement by the EU dictatorship. And that's true, they kept the public willingly in the dark, knowingly in the dark. That it was going to be, they're going to lose their sovereignty. It says you, you deliberately failed to broadcast any honest documentaries on the six EU country or treaties that would have warned the public abolition was approaching. Your solemn and bound duty under the Charter. The BBC has a fifth column, and it does too. Believe you me. It says 400 Common Purpose, the organisation called Common Purpose. People inside. Censoring out anti-EU European Parliament, you know, integration news. They censor it out. And I've got all their names here too. I'll put that up along with this article tonight. It says, you've been complicit in the broadcasting of many of the EU's 200 Frankfurt School subversion techniques over the last 40 years. That's a fact. They have been. One of which is to brainwash with nonsensical, irrelevant or rubbishy programming instead of accurate news and honest information. You're guilty of deliberately dumbing down the populace. And by the way, the Frankfurt School said that they would have to radically alter the culture of the West. Radically. And destroy it totally, right down to the destruction of the family unit, all the rest of it. And if you saw the trash that the BBC led and still is still leading, it's just astonishing. And yet, it's paid for by taxpayers' money. It's a government arm, you see, of propaganda. And it goes on to say, you've illegally received large sums from the EU, which is true too, they've also taken money from the EU, bribery by a foreign power, and you illegally act as the EU's agent against the British people who pay your license fee. By the way, they're also taking money from the CIA. Remember I read that last year. You made a deal with them. You also employ a wasteful bureaucracy. 27,000 people work there. When you need 2,000. You spend 7 billion of our money when you, you need 800 million dollars rather than 7 billion. They're spoiled rotten, the characters from the BBC, because really they see themselves as high level government employees more than anything else. It says you extort these disgraceful sums from the public with a grossly unjust license fee, which forces people to pay for this abysmal service when they may rather watch ITV or one of the hundreds of other channels. The whole basis of the license fee is illegal under common law. Under British statute and common law, any attempt to undermine British sovereignty is considered, considered treason. The BBC has been deeply complicit. And it goes on through the penalties for treason and so on. And it says, too, you've rubbished your charter, have destroyed their charter, and forfeited any right to extort your criminal license fee. The concealment of the paedophilia of Jimmy Savile and others in the BBC is typically indicative of corruption. The BBC is way beyond redemption, utterly corrupt, and needs to be closed, closed permanently. And that's by David Noakes. I'll put this up tonight as well. It's not a bad little article there. And... 
little old Scotland, of course, um, had opened its mouth about something and they got lambasted, of course, by the most powerful organization on the planet. This is talks over the Church of Scotland uh, report on Israel, it says. It says the Church of Scotland has held useful discussions with the Jewish community over a controversial report which questioned the divine right of Jews to the land of Israel. The 10-page discussion paper will be debated and voted on at the Kirkstas Church General Assembly later this month. Israel's ambassador to the UK has described it as truly hurtful. A spokeswoman for the Kirk stressed it was not denying Israel's right to exist, but she accepted a 10-page discussion paper entitled The Inheritance of Abraham? A report on the promised land has given cause for concern and misunderstanding of its position. It says concern should not be misunderstood as questioning the right of the state of Israel to exist. End quote, Church of Scotland spokeswoman, it says. A new introduction to set the context for the report and give clarity about some of the language used was required, she added. The spokesman said the concern of the church about injustices faced by the Palestinian people in the occupied Palestinian territories remained firm, but the concern should not be misunderstood as questioning the right of the state of Israel to exist. Sitting around the table and listening to each other more deeply has created a real opportunity for both communities to better understand each other and that this report now becomes a catalyst for continued and growing conversation. In other words, they're now meeting with uh, members of the Jewish communities, the most powerful organizations on the planet, who always, I mean, they're well organized and they won't stand any criticism whatsoever. Other countries should copy this, you know. But I notice that this table has no representatives of Palestine here, you see. This is the two communities have agreed to work together both here and in Israel and the occupied Palestinian territories to continue what was a, a very positive dialogue. The talks were held between reps of the Kirk and Jewish groups, including the Scottish Council of Jewish Communities and the Board of Deputies of British Jews. The report, which was compiled by the Kirk's Church and Society Council, said there has been a widespread assumption by many Christians, as well as many Jewish people, that the Bible supports an essentially Jewish state of Israel. And the quote said, Would the Jewish people today have a fair claim to the land if they dealt justly with the Palestinians? And it says, um, But its authors said an increasing number of difficulties in current Israeli policies regarding the Palestinians have led to this viewpoint being questioned. Their possession of any land is clearly conditional. The question that arises is this, would the Jewish people today have a fair claim to the land if they dealt justly with the Palestinians? Biblical promise about the land of Israel were never intended to be taken literally or as applied to a defined geographical territory, the report argued. Instead, it says that they are a way of speaking about how to live under God so that justice and peace reign, the weak and poor are protected, the strangers included, and all have a share in the community and a contribution to make to it. The promised land in the Bible is not a place so much as a metaphor of how things ought to be amongst the people of God. This promised land can be found or built anywhere. And says the desire of many in the state of Israel to acquire the land of Palestine for the Jewish people is wrong. The fact that the land is currently being taken by settlement expansion, the separation barrier, house clearance, but they knock all the houses down, uh, theft and force makes it doubly wrong to seek biblical sanctions for this. The report said that the enormity of the Holocaust has often reinforced the belief that Israel is entitled to the land unconditionally. And they do use the, the Holocaust to, to its full extent. You see, people feel guilty about it, even if they have nothing to do with it. 
But the thing is, it doesn't permit Israel then to become the, the, the very thing that they hated the most, uniforms, barbed wire, and another people on the other side of it. There is guilt amongst Western Christianity about centuries of anti-Semitism that led to discrimination against the Jews, culminating in the total evil of the Holocaust, it suggested. There's also a belief among some Jewish people that they have a right to the land of Israel as compensation for the suffering of the Holocaust. While stopping short of calling for economic and political boycotts and sanctions against the state of Israel, as church leaders from South Africa did last year, the report said the issue raises particular questions for the Church of Scotland as we seek to respond to the question, what does the Lord require of you? Anyway, the paper will be voted on by delegates of the Church's General Assembly in Edinburgh, which is due to begin on the 18th of May. And Israeli ambassador to the UK, Daniel Tobb, said, This report not only plays into extremist political positions, but negates and belittles a deeply held Jewish attachment to the land of Israel in a way which is truly hurtful, he says. If a document of this nature is adopted by the Church of Scotland, it would mark a significant step backwards for the faces of tolerance and peace in our region. And that's the whole point of it. Do you see much tolerance towards the Palestinians? Ephraim Borowski, the director of the Scottish Council of Jewish Communities, has previously condemned the report as an outrage to everything that interfaith dialogue stands for. Well, interfaith dialogue doesn't mean one group just caves in. And calling the Church of Scotland to withdraw it ahead of the General Assembly. What would would John Knox have said about this? I don't think he'd have backed down here. And Robbie Burns either, eh? We cure and timorous beastie. Anyway... That's fairly standard. If I say people should emulate Israel, and whenever they're attacked on anywhere, any media across the planet, all stand up together and do the same kind of thing. That's how you get power, and it, it, it creates solidarity amongst your people. And you can be proud that you all stand up together and attack anything that's negative about you from anybody else. Now, it says South Australian government looking into Big Brother-style network that taps into phones to track movements with owner's permission. South Australian is. And it says a Big Brother sensor network for South Australia that taps into smartphones with the owner's permission to track them, and their movements is being discussed by the state government. The SENSA, as called, initiative looks at recognising that not all data of public interest is in government hands, Premier G. Weatherhill said. The data collected could be used to guide urban planning, transport and other initiatives like neighbourhood needs and even work conditions. They always give you uh, a fairly, you know, honest sounding thing to get these things through. And practical things. Environment Protection Authority South Australia Chief Executive Dr. Campbell Gemmel has been tasked with convening a roundtable feasibility discussion to explore the idea further. Academic community and industry stakeholders will be asked to discuss the implications and decide whether it's a good idea and if, and if it is a good idea, the ways in which it can be implemented. Telemetry data about people's daily travel to a secure and anonymous mapping service would give better quality information than we ever had to guide all sorts of decisions, Mr. Weatherall said. So it track everybody. In all our movements, all the time. The concept is an example of the fresh thinking the government wants to encourage with the IT sector through the government's discussion paper on the ICT sector called SA Connected, which was also released yesterday. So it says uh, the transport de- uh, department tapped into mobile phones using a Bluetooth signal tracking system to collect data to determine the best route for the O-Ban extension to the city and so on and so on. And it tells you how they're going into it. And it's more invasion of privacy, of course. So you can track everybody 24 hours a day. 
fairly standard stuff that's happening everywhere. And, you know, all the, you know, democratic countries. And I knew this was coming because I, mean, I spent out the, the, the Jimmy Savile affair and the Hullabaloo and, uh, and all the, the even higher people uh, in royalty, etc., that have been protected by that nobility, uh, the ones that have been into pedophilia for many, many years, well known by all the press, by the way. And uh, I knew that eventually they'd put the do is just uh, go the opposite way. Get, what they would get out of it would be never what you expected. Not the arrest or so on. No, they'll call to end the, the term pedophilia altogether. Because you see, the big boys want this to be eliminated. Remember what I've mentioned before to do with the Frankfurt School? Destroy the cultures right down to the very base of cement that held them together and made them function. That means every single bit of it. Everything that you believed in and loved and everything else, totally, utterly destroyed. Everything that was practical and sensible and worked had to be destroyed. And then, then they'd rebuild the culture all over again, the, the global culture, that is. And that meant, too, that there's no such thing as underage sex with children. And here it comes, of course, stop persecuting ageless celebrities and lower the age of consent. A UK barrister lawyer, Barbara Hewson, said it says here. So, so I'll go into this article when I come back, but it's not a surprise to me. Mind you, she wants a bit of fame because she's, she likes to get on television, this woman. Back with more after this. I'm Alan Walker, back cutting through the matrix, talking about what's, you can always tell what's going to happen because eventually they want, they really, really do want to do away with the age of consent altogether. And some countries, they've already lowered it for homosexuality down to 14 years and they want to go lower and abolish it altogether. Anyway, this, this lawyer in Britain, uh, who sometimes appears on the BBC apparently with her viewpoints and different things. She specializes in, in the feminist agenda, of course, and uh, abortion rights and so on. Anyway, she says that um, in an article for online publications, spiked Hewson, a barrister, which is a lawyer at Hardwick Chambers, London, who specializes in reproductive rights, called for the end of anonymity for complainants. And the human rights lawyer labelled crimes committed by Halls, is another BBC guy arrested recently, um, uh, for assaulting 13 girls, the youngest aged just nine years old, as low-level misdemeanours. It makes you wonder about her own proclivities too, doesn't it? Doesn't it do that to you? In a statement, Hardwick said, we're shocked by the views expressed in Barbara Hewison's article on spikes. We didn't see or approve the article pre-publication, and we completely dissociate ourselves from its content and any related views she may have expressed via social media or any other media outlets. Her comments come as Scotland Yard continues with the call Operation U-Tree, an investigation split into three inquiries into allegations involving deceased presenter Jimmy Savile, claims involving Savile and others, and those involving just others. Um, as his, um, a number of high-profile figures have been arrested under U-Tree, such as entertainer Rolf Harris, former pop star Gary Glitter, DJ Dave Lee Travis, comedian Jim Davidson, and PR guru Max Clifford all deny any wrongdoing. Actually, a pedophilia will always deny wrongdoing because they don't see it as doing wrong. They'll say that's their preference. 
Uh, Miss Hewson argued that the, at the post Savile witch hunting of ageing celebrities echoes the Soviet Union and says so it's not difficult to see why some elderly d- defendants conclude that resistance is useless. Well, the Soviet Union was different because uh, that was just politicians, the, the, the high politicians getting rid of other politicians to make room for the relatives. That's generally what they did. It was all relatives that ran the Soviet Union, you know. There was just different big families of relatives that actually came into the Soviet Union from elsewhere. She added, but the low-level misdemeanors with which Stuart Hall was charged, young girls, are nothing like serious crime. Ordinarily, Hall's misdemeanors would not be prosecuted, and certainly not decades after the event. So time is okay. I guess if you murder someone 20 years ago, it's okay now, eh? What we have here is the manipulation of the British criminal justice system to produce scapegoats on demand. Scapegoats who were kind of horny goats at the time, wouldn't you say? It says, as for law reform, now regrettably necessary, my recommendations are to remove complainant anonymity, introduce a strict statute of limitations for criminal prosecutions and civil actions, and reduce the age of consent to 13. That's her recommendations. Makes you wonder where she's at, eh? And it says, Peter Watt, the director of the National Society for Prevention of Cruelty to Children, Helpline said, these outdated and simply ill-informed views would be shocking to hear from anyone but to hear them from a highly experienced barrister or lawyer, simply beggars belief. And Stuart Hall has pleaded guilty to abusing children as young as nine-year-old. We think most would agree that crimes of this nature are incredibly serious. But as we all go down the tube, you see, with moral relativity... Well, I guess whatever's wrong is just your own idea of what's right and wrong. That's what they tell you, isn't it? Isn't it, folks? That's why you're so easily used and abused. And an awful lot worse to come with the masters of the world. From Hamish, myself, Montier, Canada, it's good night, me, your God, your gods, go with you.